This week, Pastor Danielle and Rabbi Ari continue their conversation on resurrection, except they get a little bit more personal. And this is perhaps where faith and spirituality becomes most real and most powerful, when our theologies meet our hopes, our dreams, and our expectations. Infinite bodies, a suffering God, and the limitation of our imagination. This week on A Rabbi and a Pastor Walked In. So the last time we talked, we talked about resurrection of the dead, and we talked more theoretically and uh, with sources and what people expect from both of our traditions. And this time, we just want to talk to each other about what you and I expect from resurrection of the dead, when and if we personally are resurrected. (laughs) Are you concerned? (laughs) No, no, well, not exactly. I mean... Uh, I'm not concerned that I won't make it into whatever right. if medium there, place that there if is. If there is one, you're not worried about not getting it. I'm not worried about that. No, right. I, I'm, not, I'm not a saint, but I'm you know not a sinner either. Well, I'm more of a sinner than I am a saint. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I, but, but for me, obviously, I, I've talked about this a lot. I don't expect resurrection in any kind of way that I think... Traditionally, it's expected. So when you read in the Hebrew text mm-hmm. uh, passages like in the book of Daniel or in Isaiah and others that seem to have some sort of hint as to a world to come, mm-hmm. right? Some coming one, some world to come. What are your thoughts about that? Well, the first thing is that in the text of the Hebrew Bible, there is nothing that really says you will be put into a new body. Hmm. The closest you get is the Daniel verse that some will, the sleepers in the dust will awake, some to everlasting shame and some to everlasting glory. And that's great. But it doesn't say where you wake up or how you wake up. The traditional way that I always heard it, um, not from my liberal context, but from my traditional contexts, is that we would be resurrected, as it were, into a spiritual realm, Mm. not into a physical realm. Mm -hmm. And even though there is talk in the tradition of uh, dining on uh, Leviathan and behemoth, big fish and (laughs) big, big cow, or or basically locks out the wazoo (laughs) (laughs) and flunk and (laughs) brisket, Uh, but... um, and learning Torah from God or from Moses personally, mm-hmm. that, that's the image that I have. Mm. But I'll tell you my real image, my personal image, is that the universe is huge. Mm. And it's, as far as we can tell, it's as close to infinite as it can be. And in a universe which is infinite, there's one universe. Every time you make a decision, as it were, all the decisions you possibly could have made split off new worlds. So there's one in which you do this and one in which you do that. So it's like this big sliding doors type of experience. It's like a big sliding doors type of experience. That's a movie that she's referring mm-hmm. to, and I, not a bad movie at all. And so the possibility is there's a one place where you got it all wrong, mm-hmm. and there's one world where you got it all right. And in the <laughs> middle, there's all kinds of other types of things. Mm-hmm. But they're eternal, so mm-hmm. they're always there. Mm-hmm. So I'm already resurrected mm-hmm. in that world. Mm-hmm. And that is my view of all this. What's a more typical 
<laughs> Are you is, saying I am not typical? <laughs> well, no, actually, <laughs> I don't think either one of us are typical. No. But but what would be a, a more typical view? Like if you're talking, if somebody's trying to just sort of wrap their arms around more of a traditional or most popular view, Jewish view of well, the resurrection or what will happen. Thing. See, um, first of all, liberals don't really think about it at all. Mm-hmm. And for the traditional Jews who do, they say it's in God's hands and whatever God has for me, they'll, that's fine. Mm-hmm. So they don't really expect much, except what I told you, dining on Leviathan and Behemoth and learning Torah. But um, there's nothing really, really, but when, in, the, in the Talmud, there is the story, several stories in, in the last chapter of Tractate Sanhedrin, which is a capital court that is, tries people on, on death penalty cases. And so it ends with resurrection. So it's kind of a nice thing. <laughs> and there are rabbis who question how it would be. Hmm. They say, for example, would you be resurrected naked right. or in clothes? With your clothes or the shrouds you were buried in? Mm-hmm. Uh, would you uh, be resurrected blind if you were blind and lame if you were lame or with whatever physical deformities you've had? Or would you be old or young? And they kind of come to a conclusion that you'd be resurrected as you died Hmm. at first, so you'd be recognizable. Okay. So there's a bodily resurrection for a little bit. For for at least a little bit and, and a bodily resurrection in your crummy body. And and then you get a better body. So you could be like, oh, that's Joe. Phew, that's Joe's right. here. And then, okay. And then everybody changes into their new spiritual body. So and there's some you, sort of transformation. Yeah, some kind of a transformation. Interesting. So, so that's just really, really kind of fun. You uh, tell me what you like. Well, what would I like to happen? So I think because I believe that everything will pan out in the end, and I'm trusting that the way in which... Um, I trust in the character of God. I trust that God is the perfect judge. I trust that God is love, that he has a relentless, stubborn love for his people, and that it is God's desire to be with his people. So I don't have that. I don't have a fear about it. There's no fear involved. There's no concern that I may or may not get in. So for me, I think the the language that I use to describe what I want is the same language that I find in the book of Revelation or in the book of Isaiah um, and in some of Jesus's teachings as well. It's sort of a watching the old order of things go away and things being set to right. And then I get to live in that place and space, right? Where harmony is now present again between God and, and people, between persons one to another and between all of us in creation. So I like that idea and I like that concept. And it is a place of concept that gives me great hope, right? When you see um, an inexplicable death of a child um, or a friend suffering from cancer, any number of the bedsides you and I have stood at as clergy members in our community, there's some hope for me that the description that I find in the book of Revelation, no more crying, no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain, or in the book of Isaiah, never again will an infant live but a few days. I love that verse because it shows to me that the heart of God knows that this is not good, right? That as God created things to be good and then things deteriorated from that point, that when I'm weeping over the death of a child, that God also is weeping over the death of a child and has in mind some ultimate rescue plan to solve that problem. Never again. And it's just, you know, as a clergy member, 
you know, it's one thing to officiate a funeral for somebody who's lived a really long, beautiful life and well into their 80s or their 90s or 100, and, and they have uh, maybe even a small funeral because so many people that loved them aren't around anymore, right? They lived such a great long life. And when you do a funeral for a younger person, the casket's small. And it's a weird experience for clergy. For, for me, when I, I stood next to a very small casket early on in my pastoral ministry, and the family members were trying to find some goodness in it, some way to celebrate the passing, that the child wasn't in pain anymore. The child had suffered quite a bit. Um, and so they wanted to have the child's favorite things around. So they wanted uh, me to help tie some balloons around the casket. And they wanted some, because the child loved these particular balloons, and they wanted some some bubbles to be going on and all these types of things. And of course, we're going to do what the family wants so that they can honor and mark the passing of yeah, the child. Never, I never argue with them unless it's going to be either illegal or right. you know, unsafe. But. Right, right. But there was some, something about all of that, just just the physics of standing next to such a small casket and thinking that somebody makes these small caskets because children pass away. It, it just is so wrong. You just don't want to see a child lost. And when I think of Revelation, when I think of Isaiah... I get so encouraged to know that things will be set to right. And that's what I hope will happen. I hope that I get to participate in the kingdom to come, the world to come, where things are set to right. Never again will an infant live but a few days. Here's the problem I have with, with the concept of resurrection. The physicality of a body is only a body if it eats, drinks, makes love, runs around, right. every so often gets hurt a little bit, gets a bruise. I mean, if it's not going to be that kind of a body, then what's the purpose? And if it's going to live for infinity, I'm, I don't even know. Uh, what does that even mean to be in a body for infinity? Um, another couple things. That, like I say, these are the kind of practical questions that are asked <laughs> right. in the Talmud, like if you come back and lame and blind. And also asked in the New Testament, these same types of things, yeah. And. One of the things that we didn't know back then there 2,000 years ago was that uh, more, we have more non-human cells in us than we have human cells. So does that mean that the biome of bacteria <laughs> is going to get resurrected with us? Or does it mean that we will be resurrected in a fully human body right. <laughs> with no other things and then don't have no help digesting our food? But um, <laughs> the, these are the kind of questions that, that occur to me. Uh, mm -hmm. The other thing is, would you, with all the people that have died, would the world fill up with people? I mean, Mormons have a solution to that. They they figure that if they merit it, they will get their own planet as a god. That's their thought. And at least it solves the population problem <laughs> on the planet. You're just talking about space now. I'm just talking about space now, yeah. And um, I actually have a, speaking of space, I'm a total space cadet on this kind of an issue. Is it for me, as you're aware, I, I don't see that anything else exists except for God. Mm -hmm. So when it says Ein od milvado, there's nothing else. Most people translate alongside him. There's mm -hmm. no other God. You can also translate that in the way that the Zohar, the Kabbalistic mystical book of Judaism, translates it. But there's nothing else at all besides God. Interesting. And so uh, in mysticism, you realize that what you're looking at is not what is there. Right. All you see is what your eyes can see. All you sense is what your your body can sense. But for real, we're all made of light. Hmm. And if we had the 
ability to see ourselves in that kind of a way, we'd be different already realizing that we're made out of light. Interesting. Light and matter, energy and matter, pretty much the same. And so if you look through all that, what the reason is that you can't, you can't see it because it's hidden. That's what mysticism means. The, mm-hmm. the truth mm-hmm. is really hidden. So my belief is that every time someone's born, God is born. Every time somebody dies, mm-hmm. God dies. Every time somebody is tortured, God is tortured. Mm-hmm. The way I see the Holocaust is that not only were the Jewish people and all the other peoples who were so rudely and brutally killed, but also God was killed over and over and over again, which means to me, at least, that there's some justice already that God who created death hmm. suffers at every time it happens. Hmm. And and so it's not like we're here and God is there, which right. most people right. see. It's that God is in heaven and we're down here. Well, and we're all is. made in the image of God, right? We're all made so. in the image of God. Not only are we made in the image of God, we are actually part of God. Mm-hmm. We are not any of us, all of God, but we are part of God, like a fingernail cell is part of me. Uh, it may not be aware of me, right? but in any case, so I, I, I see hmm. the resurrection of all of us as the memory of God knowing, having known us. Another part of the Talmud discussion is there, as they, some people say, how could God bring dead dust to life right and 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 the rabbis say what's harder to do to create from dust or to create from water hmm. and the people say it's pretty how can you create from water it just falls they say ha but we started as water and so the, the sexual fluids and so they say if god can create you out of that god can create you out of, recreate you out of dust and, and they and and they said what do you break glass you know you can't put it back together they said ah but glass is created by breath and God breathed you into existence as our first ancestor, breathed God's spirit into Adam, and we became alive. So that anything that exists already can re-exist because it never stops. Interesting. In the eternal mind of God. So we have some, I, I think for Christians, we have a God who becomes flesh, right? This is the, our core tenant. And when we talk about the word becoming flesh, when we talk about God becoming flesh, being born, you know, wrapped up in a human body in the person of Jesus, um, Yeshua, his parents didn't call him Jesus, right? So (laughs) I, when, when I think of that, it's a very human thing as well as a very divine thing, right? We have the core belief is that Jesus was 100% divine and 100% human, that neither his human humanity was not diminished by his divinity and his divinity was not diminished by his humanity. And in that then, there's no problem with thinking that when Jesus was learning to walk, that he would trip and fall and skin his knee, right? So we have a very human um God that we consider, right? That this is, it's, it's, and it's also the mystery of when Jesus is baptized, right? God, the father rips open heaven, says, this is my son whom I love with him. I'm well pleased. And the spirit of God descends upon Jesus. And then God, the son is in the water. So all three at the same time coexisting and yet their own independent persons, but three in one, not one, would you say in Christian theology, you know, this one's God and this one's not. 
right? We all, all three are God, but we also believe that God is one. So it's, we're just weird. We just have this, this mystery that we embrace. But as a result, I think the concept of a bodily resurrection is a little bit easier. First of all, we have this prototype in Christ. Paul says that Jesus is the first fruits of our resurrection. And, and, and Paul goes into much detail on the resurrection and our hope in the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, um, Jesus is talking about the resurrection in much the same way we are when he's approached by some of the other religious thinkers of his day who come alongside and say, hey, so what's going to happen if he marries his brother's wife after his brother dies? You know, he marries his brother's wife and then the next one dies, the next one dies. In heaven, whose wife will she be? And, right. and Mark 12, Jesus will say, you know, you're not thinking about this clearly. You're, you've, you've lost the sight of the text. Um, it's neither, they will neither marry nor divorce in heaven, right? It's not going to work the same way. So what's the point? Having a body. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we have this belief in this bodily resurrection. And, um, and I think that's part of the mystery for me. When I think about all of this, we also, as Christians, we have a God who suffers. We have a God who dies. This is the central point of our story is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And we believe that in really the crucifixion of Jesus and then the resurrection, that that is the enthronement of God. But it is a God that suffers as well and suffers with us and but was suffers he suffering for us. as Jesus or suffering because of Jesus? That is, was he suffering because of his pain, because of the other person's pain? That he's looking at right, it, right. his son's pain, or is he suffering his own pain from being the one who's being crucified right. personally? And and I think I would say Christian theology holds both, right? That there's there's a moment um, the night before the crucifixion where Jesus is praying that the cup would be taken from him, this cup of vengeance, this cup of suffering, whatever this this cup is that he it doesn't specify in our text, but he's praying for this cup to be taken. And it's right after a Passover type meal and there's cups given. So there's a lot of discussion about this, but it seems as though he's pressed and it's got Shemin, right? It's the pressing place is where he is. Got Shemin means right. oil press. Yeah. Right. Wine, it's uh, on, right on the Mount of Olives. And so this pressing place where he is at, he feels the weight of all of that, right? I think the weight of the world as well as the weight of what is to come. But there's this other interesting scene. Um, once Jesus dies on the cross, it says that the temple veil is torn in two from top to bottom. And every time I've heard this story uh, since learning about, you know, in the Bible and in Jewish practice modernly, the tearing and the ripping of clothes, you know, when somebody dies or mourns, that that ripping of fabric, it is a mournful sound, right? It's the tearing and, and the heartbreak that's coming from that loss. And I've often thought about just the picture that if that's the house of God and those are God's garments, for lack of a better word, that at the death of God's son, God's garments rip and tear asunder. And you have that, that mourning in that moment as well. So it, for, for Christians, I don't think that we can look at the cross and say, oh, I'm so thankful for the cross only. Like we also need to look at it and say, that might have been some, some good news for me in the forgiveness of my sin as we think about this. But, but it is also deeply painful and there's suffering and there's loss. And when I stand then by the casket of a small one or an old one, whenever we are weeping, I do believe that Jesus is there weeping with us, that, um, that God cares deeply for our suffering. When I've done funerals for suicides, and we've had mm. a lot of trained suicides in mm. our city, 
and I've done a lot of the funerals of those people, that's really, right. really painful um, in, in, in many respects, both because the parents are devastated in a way that is, goes beyond even a murder. Only just loss, right? Yeah. And, um, and so I think about that, and I think about what drove them to it, and I think about the mental state they must have been in. And when I think about resurrection... It's not just that you have a body, but you have a mind. Mm -hmm. That is, the body should be improved. Mm -hmm. You think that you're getting it right from the total, the ultimate dealer, as right. it were. <laughs> right. Uh, right off the lot. Right off the lot, <laughs> yeah. And it should come up with a better motor <laughs> right. and a better mm -hmm. sense of, of who you are. And, um, mm -hmm. and so that's the kind of thing that I think about. But mm -hmm. I still have a hard time wanting to be physically aware mm -hmm. that I'm going to be in one unchangeable body right, right. that won't ever grow, that I won't necessarily taste with or will I taste with it, that I won't appreciate physical closeness, would I, would I or wouldn't I? These are the, the right. kind of things that I, that I have. I, we, we have in, in, the, um, in the Talmud, the text that basically uh, you will, all Israel will be resurrected as it were, um, except for people who don't believe in it. Because why would God bother you with something you right. don't he, believe? He honors so, your choice. So I don't go militantly against it. It's not my, it's not my thing. I'm just covering all the bases. No, no, I'll take whatever God's got to give right. me. <laughs> and yeah. be happy for it and say thank you. But, I, you know, I, yeah. I, just, I, just, I just don't know how that would work or be better than just something else or just being gone. So we have some limitations, right? When yeah. we think about this and we have the limitation of our own imagination, right? To try to understand and explain something that doesn't exist within this realm. We don't know anybody personally who's experienced it, who can tell us what it's like. And so we only have our texts that talk about this. And so I can go to my text and I can read that Jesus was physically resurrected and he could eat and he could drink and he could go, but I don't know how all of that occurs or how that occurs for me or what that, or actually, what that actually means and it reminds me of a conversation that um, I had with a rabbi in the East Bay who's now moved to Israel uh, Rabbi Judah Dardik I don't know if you're familiar I with know him Judah, yeah. yeah and he he said that when you look at the book of cre uh, the story of creation in the book of Genesis that you can look at it to try to figure out science and history if that's what you want to do but he said it's like using a 747 for a paperweight <laughs> it'll hold down the paper, but it's not what it's created for. It's created to help you fly. So the, the Genesis story isn't written down to say, here's how all of this exactly scientifically happened, and here's a seven-day period, and here's 24 hours, or here's what happened on each day for the sake of science, right? But instead to show us a God that forms and then fills, that loves, that makes good things, that has things with purpose and completeness. And the order of importance. The order of value, all of Sabbath. these things, right? is more right. important than humans and humans are the crown of all physical creation so so i i think i've been very comfortable with looking at the genesis story and narrative and saying it's not telling me what happened it's telling me that it happens it's not telling me all the mechanics of it but it's telling me who did it and why and how and so those images have become or those concepts become deep and dear to me and i can see those expressed throughout our text I wonder if we shouldn't be doing the same thing with our conversation about a physical resurrection. That at some point we just sit back and we say, it's like a 747 for a paperweight. Our language is for it, right? If the concept of a bodily resurrection 
is to give us hope like it gave the mother of the Maccabean sons to give us hope as we stand by these caskets uh, or we think of our own mortality um, to be invested in a future because we want to live with the knowledge of that investment going forward. I can think of all these other values, right? The belief that there will be justice in the world to come, even if we don't find it in this world, that there won't be suffering in the world to come, even if we find suffering in this world, Um, that there's hope, right? That God is going to be setting things to right. I believe in a physical and bodily resurrection. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus, and I believe that that resurrection is available to all. That's important to me, but I also wonder if I'm debating about exactly what the body's going to look like or who's going to be married to who in heaven or how that all's going to go, that then I may have had a great adventure in missing the point, right? That I'm not using this concept to also just let us soar. Well, see, and, and that works. And I, and I have an understanding that when you're talking two, 3,000 years ago, you're telling people different stories. Right. Because our imaginations grow as our technology grows, our experience grow. But... I don't understand the need for it all to get better here Mm -hmm. if it has to last forever. Mm -hmm. So there's another view that, you know, that all these resurrections happen simultaneously, that it's it's the end of history. There's nothing going to go forward from here. And so all the good people and all the bad people are resurrected simultaneously and the good ones get their names called and they get to go into the next room or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. And the bad people go, when are they going to call me? And Mm -hmm. And then they don't. Mm -hmm. And then they just disappear or whatever. And and, and then the physical resurrection is only a temporary passing through Hmm. a body before the spiritual reality takes over. Hmm. That would be the way that I would truly see it, uh, given the things that I've learned from my tradition and some of the things that I just figure out that makes sense to me. Is that what you personally would want to happen? I told you, I will take whatever God's <laughs> given out, and I'll say yes. thank you. <laughs> Amen. I think we we still end up in the place where we're all in His hands. Yep. Yeah.